1: welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 313.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, I'm your host, Andrew. And I'm joined by my lovely, wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. This week on the show, it is an odd-numbered show. I am our guest. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's the best we can do. <laughs> I spent the last week in Germany at Essen Spiel, the biggest board game convention in the world. And uh, pretty much we're going to talk about that. We talked about what we were looking forward to last week, and this week we're going to talk about kind of how it went and, you know, what I was able to see and what I brought home and all sorts of stuff like that. All right. All right. But first, we're going to start off our show with all those things we do before the break. The first of these is a fact. This is kind of a way in which we have a guest this week, (laughs) I guess. We have a guest fact. We have a guest fact from our friend, friend of the show, Michael from the Game Schooler podcast. So special thanks to him for this. Eris is one of the largest dwarf planets in the solar system. This dwarf planet is roughly the same size as Pluto. However, it's three times further from our sun. I knew it was roughly the same size as Pluto. Didn't know it was farther away. This dwarf planet actually has its own moon. From NASA Science, originally designated 2003 UB-313, and nicknamed for the television warrior Xena by its discovery team, Eris is named for the ancient Greek goddess of discord and strife. The name fits since Eris remains at the center of a scientific debate about the definition of a planet. So, not only was this planet originally named UB-313, it nearly became associated with a true hero, Xena <laughs> the warrior princess. <laughs> And that is our fact. Thanks again to Michael from the Game Schooler podcast for that delightful nerdy fact.
1: And thanks also to First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young family that is earning a combined $100,000 or so with a net worth of around $25,000 and the goals of buying a home and starting a family. With this pretend client wanting to prepare for having children, we would want to explore what that means to them. Some families want a spouse to be able to stay home. Others want to keep both spouses working and will have to think through child care from both a cost standpoint as well as a care standpoint. As we get a more clear view of what they want their family to look like when a child has been added, we can start making changes to their current situation to reflect what it will be like later. If they want to be a one-income family, we want to work toward only being reliant on that one income prior to adding a child to the mix, keeping in mind that children can be expensive and their current spending will need to adjust further as they go. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the Family Gamers Podcast.
0: Thanks again to First Move for that sponsorship. They have been very generous and very helpful to us. So it's Basically, the middle of the month, by the time this podcast comes out, we really, really wanted to have an Essen show like during and maybe do some interviews at Essen. It just did not work out. There was too much running around and craziness. I was working a booth for pretty much the entire show. It just was not going to work. To do something in between. So we did have a gap uh, in the show. We did not release an episode last week. You which didn't miss means... it. There just wasn't one. Right, right, exactly. Which means that, you know, coming full on, like, more than halfway <laughs> through the month of October, we need to do our monthly report for the month of September. We
1: do. And we avoided doing this in our last episode of September because we knew that you were going away to Q's Con and would play a bunch of games.
0: yeah. That that's a thing that happened. Did you
1: get in more plays in Not the month enough. of September? Not enough. Than days? No. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, I'm sorry too. <laughs> so let's talk about those vital statistics. The month of September has 30 days in it. I played 26 games. H index of two. Jekyll vs. Hyde and Delicious were the games that I played the most. But other games I played two times: Disney Sorcerers Arena, Epic Alliances, Get On Board. Onitama, and Royal Visit.
1: 26 plays of how many unique games? 19 unique games. Nineteen. So you got in more unique games than I did.
0: Okay, how many unique games did you have?
1: I have 18 unique games.
0: But how many plays?
1: 33.
0: Yeah, show off. (laughs) Uh, What else can I say about this? 80% of my games were played at home. Looks like even distribution between Monday and Saturday being my most popular days. Sure. And uh, I played the most games at two players, 15 of my 26 games I played with you. What? I know. I know. So that's my, uh, my numbers. So how about you? So you so, had 18 so unique games, 18, 33 plays. Yep.
1: 18 distinct games, 33 total plays. My H index was four. How crazy is oh, that? You're the worst. I played Get On Board five times. I played Delicious four times, mm-hmm. and I also played Jekyll versus Hyde four times, and Onitama four times. Oh,
0: there you go. So there I will go. say, since we're halfway through the month of October, I will say that my H index is already three. So that's, right. you know, better. So and
1: we'll that's see, not counting the game that you demoed uh, repeatedly at No, at Essen. I
0: did not include... Okay, so I was the designated demoer for a particular game at SN. And uh, I did not include that game in the list because that number would be 1,000.
1: <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not, not really, 1,000, but... but probably 100 uh, or
0: more. Probably not even that high. I mean, pr- I probably did play the game, I don't know, 10 times a day for four days. Yeah. So that was a lot. All right. But let's talk about some other games that we've been playing now that we've finished up <laughs> with our monthly report. We can go back pretty far. We didn't even talk about my QScon games. Um, I know. So... All right, I'm going to go way back, and I'm going to talk about a game that's been sitting on our shelf of opportunity, on the kids' shelf of opportunity, for a fairly long time since we gave it to them for Christmas, I hope last year, I think last year, (laughs) and that is the Dragon Prince Battle Charge. Yes, that was last year. Okay, great. Uh, The easiest way for me to explain the Dragon Prince Battle Charge, this game, I mean, it's in the Dragon Prince universe, not the Disney universe, so obviously it feels like it's a heavier subject matter or whatever, but uh, really, you're just playing as the characters from the show. So I played as General Amaya, who rules. She's awesome. Who rules. And um, one of those, like, Sun Elf people. Okay. And Asher, who's the one I played against, had uh, Soren and Callum.
1: I can see how they would make a good pair.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it, it was really very similar to the way Epic Alliance is played, including the whole, you knock someone over and they're out and you get victory points and then they stand back up and then they keep fighting. kind sure. of thing. You know what I mean? So um, it was good. It was enjoyable. I think we're going to play it some more. I can definitely see how there's a fair amount of replayability in this with all the different characters, but, you know, someone's going to have to be Claudia at some point. And she's kind of a bad guy and blah, 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 whatever, all that stuff. So sure. I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was fun. That is the Dragon Prince Battle Charged.
1: Okay. Well, while you were at Q's I did a lot of traveling and there is not a whole lot that I felt comfortable playing on a big bus full of people, but I did play some Tempest Imperium.
0: (laughs) Okay. Sure. Sure. Sure.
1: Old favorite of mine. And when I came back, Elliot was insistent that he show me Boss Monster.
0: Yes, we played Boss Monster a few times over the course of the weekend at QsCon. We actually bought a copy of the game there. I had never played it before.
1: It's fine. I am glad that our boys enjoy it. I don't mind playing it, but it is not ever going to be in my top choices.
0: I feel like Boss Monster is a game that came out long enough ago that it was hewing new ground when it came out, but at this point, the whole idea of I guess it's like tower defense, kind of, in a board game or in a Tower defense in a card game. game. I guess
1: that is what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I don't know. It's fine. Like you said.
1: It's cute that it turns the tower defense idea on its head that you are the boss monster and you are trying to build up a dungeon that will kill off the heroes.
0: Yep. Yep. And again, you know, it's not the first time I've seen that kind of as a theme, but it's still fun. Uh, some other stuff that we played. We played Block and Key. This is from Inside Up Games. This is a kind of an interesting game where everybody is drafting three dimensional polytetramino. I don't even know what the term would be for it. Okay. Three dimensional uh, Tetris pieces, basically. From the bottom, they're kind of laid out. And then there's like a top shelf, almost like that Mountains vs. Molehills game or whatever it was mm-hmm, called. Mm-hmm. And you're placing these pieces on top so that from your perspective, you create these 2D images that are on some cards that you have that are kind of like goal cards for you. So everybody's perspective is a little bit different. You play through this whole deck, I guess, of cards. And when there aren't any cards left, the game is over. Whoever has accumulated the most points wins. Pretty straightforward. The blocks have a really nice heft to them. They feel really good in your hand. So they're not too heavy or too cheap feeling or anything like that. They're really just right. i I talked to Connor McGoughy from Inside Up at PAX Unplugged last year, and he was telling me that it was just a miserable experience trying to get these blocks just right. Sure. But but they finally did, and I agree. They feel great.
1: Over the past two weeks or so, I played a ton of Dead and Breakfast. Mm -hmm. So this is a cute tile-drafting, tile-laying game. Where you are building a haunted hotel and trying to maximally scare your guests. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we released a written review of this last week, Tuesday. All in all, I think it is a great choice for this spooky season, and it is not too challenging for pre readers in your family.
0: I dig it. All right, back to QsCon, I guess. We. Played this game, which was very dumb. It is from the unstable unicorns people, uh, okay, whoever yeah. is, the oatmeal people or T-turtle. whatever. I don't know. It's called A Game of Cat and Mouth.
1: Oh, I think I've seen that. You set up this big vertical board and you're trying to like shoot stuff through the cat's mouth hole. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you're a cat's mouth hole. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, so not. you have like a paw that's on uh, an elastic that you bend back and basically uses a catapult to launch these balls through the cat's mouth to the other player's side. Balanced on the rim of the cat's mouth are four of these white balls that you're trying to knock onto the other player's side. In addition to this, there is one black ball, like where the cat's nose is. And if you knock that one out, that's an instant win. So your goal is to either get all of the yellow balls, you have four, I think, and your opponent has four, onto your opponent's side. So they have eight on their side. That would be a win. Or you can get all four of the white balls on the opponent's side. That would be a win. Or if you get the black ball on the opponent's side, that would be a win. I see. It's just this goofy, dumb game. We had a real absolute blast playing this at Q's Con. It came out a number of times. Unfortunately, it is not the game our boys won in the try and play <laughs> or play to win okay, or whatever they call it. Play to win, yeah. Which is, I think, a little bit of a bummer for them, but they still got something they enjoyed. So I think that's fine. What did they win? What is it called? Ahoy? or something like that. Not Ahoy. Um, I don't remember what the game is called, but it has like a pop-up boat in it when you open it.
1: Oh, I remember them very briefly showing that to me.
0: Yeah, it looks fun. And I told and them neat. that
1: was not going to be a bedtime game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's another one of these games where you're throwing balls at holes or something like sure. that. So. I don't know. That was that. Uh, we also played Rec Raiders from Kids Table Board Games. This is a cute little kind of worker placement-y kind of game. It's fun. I don't really know what else to say about it. You <laughs> okay. know, it's understandable by Elliot while still being fun for me to play.
1: That's always a good balance there. Yep,
0: yep exactly. Uh, I taught Grant Lyon how to play Jekyll vs. Hyde.
1: Nice.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I taught some random family how to play Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters. And then some people taught me, even though I'd played it before, how to play Clank. I don't love Clank. It's fine. I I feel like I'm missing something that I'm not totally jazzed about this game.
1: I mean, I still haven't played it. I have a feeling, talking to some people who love it, that it's one of those where it felt really cool and fresh when it came out. And now if the theme of it doesn't super grab you, it's just going to feel long. Yeah, I, I
0: don't know. I have no idea. It just doesn't get me going. I don't know. Asher seems to really like it. So I think it's going to stay around for a little bit longer, but
1: we'll see. Well, let's talk about a game that definitely does not feel super long. And that is Ghosts Love Candy 2.
0: Yeah, this game is fun. I like this game.
1: So we're playing this game to get ready to review it. Mm -hmm. uh, But this is an update of Danny Devine's game from seven years ago that was called Ghosts Love Candy.
0: Imagine that.
1: I know, right? Uh, As far as I can tell, it is the same mechanics, but they've tightened up a couple of things and added a ton more cards. There are way more ghosts to choose from. There are 100 kid cards, which you are not going to use in a single game. There's a couple of bonus candy treat things that weren't around before. So all of that is cool. This is another super approachable game that... I probably wouldn't play it with kids who can't read yet because every single one of those kid cards has text on it that you need to read and understand what that kid's power is. Mm -hmm. But if you have kids who are okay readers, they don't need to be super solid readers. They will do fine with this game. The rest of the iconography is super clear and the whole thing is cartoony and cute and with a hundred kids in different costumes There's always something coming up that we're like, oh, hey, that's so fun and whatever. And then we steal their candy.
0: Yep. (laughs) There's lots of references to like, I think we pulled some card that was like a Twilight reference today or something. One of those kids.
1: I think, yeah, love struck teenager or something like that.
0: Her bonus had something to do with like, if the vampire or the werewolf comes out, she's worth more points or something, you know. But there was also
1: like spider dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's ghost love candy too. Uh, We should be putting out a review for that fairly soon. It is a little tough to get right now because 25th Century Games, who publishes it, had a little bit of trouble with fulfillment. Mm. So it is possible to get it, but it's not in every store where it's going to be yet.
0: Yeah, that stinks. I'm going to move on to another game, though, that is from 25th Century that is absolutely fantastic. I guess I don't know whether this is available yet, but this is Green
1: Team Wins. this game is ridiculous. And it's, it's so
0: fantastic. Kind of I love this great. game. So I had seen a lot about how good this game was and how good of a party game this was. And so I figured that since I was going to Essen and I was going to be shacking up with a bunch of board game people, and we probably were not going to want to play a lot of like really deep cerebral stuff after demoing games all day long and all that stuff, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. brought Green Team Wins all the way with me to Germany. And we played it on the first day with just three people. Not great with three people. This game definitely is better with as many people as you can possibly get. But the point of green team wins, everybody starts on the orange team. And the point is that you have five questions in each of three different categories. There's which of these three fill in the blank and this or that. And so you pick five out of each of those three stacks, shuffle them all up, and then you flip one over and you say, okay, okay. The question is coffee blank, and everybody writes down on their thing, you know, whatever they want to come after coffee, and then everybody reveals at the same time, and whatever answer is the most popular, those people are on the green team, and they get points, and basically the game is really just trying to anticipate the popularity contest and stay on the green team. Because if you're on the green team and you get answer correctly, you get two points. If you're on the orange team and you answer correctly, you go to the green team and get one point.
1: Yeah, so it definitely has some things in common with some of the other party games we've played in the last couple of years, like Blank Slate or Just One, where you're trying to get some commonality in there and kind of have a gestalt with other players. But this one it is openly... Competitive within that, (laughs) which makes it ridiculous, you know, because it's constantly like, oh, green team wins. Green team wins. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's always the green team winning.
1: Oh, orange team! You got it wrong. You know, it just and all in good fun. We
0: played it tonight as a family. family. So I mean, our, our oldest was out, but we played it with the two boys and they really had a good time with it. I mean, it was pretty entertaining. Elliot is eight. But he can write. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, messy. Um, it,
1: it would have <laughs> been fine. It would have been challenging to play this game with him two years ago. Um, he would have been able to come up with answers, but not keep his mouth shut long enough to figure out how to write them down.
0: That's probably true.
1: But he's come a long way since then. So now he can write and it is readable enough <laughs> uh, as an eight-year-old with terrible handwriting that, you know, we get the gist of it. Mm-hmm
0: so that's Green Team win. So I played that a bunch of times in my H index of three already.
1: I cannot wait to play that with our family at Thanksgiving. Oh, that's I gonna gonna be think it's gonna an be absolutely hilarious.
0: Yeah, because my sister's bringing her boyfriend and blah blah blah. Like it'll be good. It'll, it'll be a be lot of fun.
1: One last quick one for me. Yet another Halloweeny kind of game that I'm hoping we can review before the end of the month. This one is Studies in Sorcery. Yeah, so we...
0: Reviewed is a strong word, but we looked at this when it went on Kickstarter, when it was originally going to be called Degrees in Darkness? Yes.
1: Although they had already changed the name by the beginning of the Kickstarter, so I actually went back and looked at some of our old content from almost two years ago, (laughs) talking about it being studies in sorcery. I reminded myself how to play. I... Learned how to play the solo mode. I crushed the solo mode, which I was not expecting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, usually Carlos' solo modes are really hard.
1: Yeah, I think I got some good engine building going near the end of the game. And also cottoned on to how to keep the robot player from getting too much stuff. So it worked out really well for me.
0: All right so why don't we do this we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to talk all about the SN experience the nature is going to interview me maybe I don't know (laughs) but another thing we're going to do we're actually going to talk about a couple more games that we have been playing that came from SN some of them you played some of them I played well some of them we both played and some of them (laughs) I played (laughs) so we'll talk about all that stuff when we come back all right This is a snap review for Delicious, a flip-and-write game by the team at Pencil First Games. Steve Finn, Eduardo Baroff, and Clementine Campardew.
1: An unlimited number of people can play, as long as they can see the cards and have a player sheet.
0: Pencil First even has a sheet on their website that you can download so everyone can play. A
1: game takes about 20 to 30 minutes.
0: Let's talk about the art in Delicious.
1: So the cards and the background on the sheets have this watercolor style to it they're beautiful of course that's not all of the art in the game that's right delicious calls itself an artful game why because after you flip vegetable cards or look at fruit tokens you're actually going to draw them on your player sheet but for those of you who can't draw like me the back of the rule book
0: gives you step-by-step instructions on how to draw those fruits and vegetables if you still can't do it you can just write the letters
1: (laughs) yes But let's talk about the mechanics of this game.
0: So you're going to set this game up by setting up a split deck of vegetable cards for the top and for the bottom halves of the garden.
1: They're indicated by these little up and down tokens. Give everyone a garden sheet and a player sheet. Each round flip out a new top and bottom card. You'll also take two tokens out of the bag and put one on each card. More on those in a minute. You only get to draw vegetables
0: according to what you select on your player sheet though. Each round you need to choose. Will you use one card in the correct place, top or bottom? Will you use both cards
1: in the correct place?
0: Or will you use one card but switched to the other side?
1: You've also got two chances to use both cards and put them wherever you want.
0: Each vegetable card also has an icon in the bottom right. This is going to tell you whether the token you pulled out goes on the fruit side or the tool side.
1: If it's a tool, you can use it to put a fruit or vegetable of any kind in the row or column that has that tool in it. You're still limited by that top or bottom restriction though. And you need to cross off the tool after you use it.
0: Can't use it a second time? No. If it's a fruit, draw that fruit in the fruit planter in a space that is the same shape as the shape on the card. Hexagon,
1: star, or oval. Each of the six vegetable planters has slightly different restrictions too. The wheelbarrow, everything has to be different. In the boots, you're planting two different pairs of vegetables.
0: Three identical vegetables need to go in the suitcase and three different vegetables in the small raised bed. If you're the first to fill a planter, you'll check this box on the left for an extra bonus point. If you're the first to complete the entire top or the entire bottom,
1: you get the honey bonus as well. Over on the fruit side, you score points for rows and columns. You get a few points for at least three different fruits, but you get more points if you can do at least three of the same fruit in a connected row. At the end of the game, flip over your player sheet and add up your scores to see who wins. So Andrew, what were our expectations
0: from this game? Well, Pencil First always makes super solid games. So I knew that even if I didn't care for something about it, either from like the theme or something about some designer decisions, I was gonna respect and appreciate the the solid gameplay. And that's exactly what I got. As you know, I've also been becoming a little more fond of Roll and rights lately, so that helped too. On the negative side, I saw that it said one to a hundred in the player count on the box. <laughs> And that told me that there wouldn't be player interaction, which is something that I
1: really like in games, and I was right about that, too. I saw that the game has an additional solo mode. That's really odd to see in this style of game that's, you know, 1 to 100, and I wanted to check that part out. So that leads us into what surprised us about Delicious.
0: I was surprised how much the game drew on me. Uh, I swear, uh. I, okay. (laughs) Anyway, after I played it once, I thought it was fine like it was draftosaurus crossed with three sisters kind of but playing it more really made me appreciate the puzzle of trying to complete things faster than others while still being held to the same exact restrictions unlike some other roll
1: and rights everybody has the same icons in all of the same places it was really fun to be able to play this solo with the pesky crow who limits your placement options and it was also really fun playing over video chat with our friends if the lack of player interaction really bothers you, there's also a mini expansion included, the Community Garden. This increases the tension between players by giving special abilities to whoever finishes a specific planter first.
0: So, Anitra, do we recommend Delicious?
1: Delicious is a really nice, solid flip-and-write. It draws from elements of a lot of other successful games that came before. It. It's definitely worth checking out if you love gardening, or if you're a big fan of roll-and-writes and flip-and-writes. And flip and As long as you don't mind the limited interaction.
0: Delicious didn't till any unused soil. That is to say, there aren't any brand new mechanics here. The drawing was a nice twist, and it definitely did help draw in our artistic child. That was great. Yeah. All of these pieces are put together well, and it really does make for a game that can get its roots into you. (sighs) So, (laughs) Anitra, what are we going to rate Delicious from Pencil First Games?
1: A lot higher than your puns, for sure. We're going to give it three and a half out of five fruits. And vegetables. And that's delicious. In a a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello. So I'm here with Andrew, who just got back from Essen. Welcome, Andrew.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's really fun to be here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Andrew, tell us some of your highlights of Essen before we get to the games. Okay. tell me what it was like to be in Germany and go to the world's largest board game convention.
0: So I mean, the first thing that people ask when they hear, oh, that I was traveling you know to like to Europe is basically like how did you handle the uh, jet lag? And so I flew out at 5 pm ish, which got me into Copenhagen at about midnight, 1230 uh, in the morning, and then I uh, had an hour layover, and then I flew to Dusseldorf, which got me to Dusseldorf at like two-ish, but really, it's six hours later, so it was like nine in the morning-ish, eight mm. hour, eight eight. Like, by the time I got, like, yeah. you know, down to whatever. So I was waiting for the person who was going to come meet me right around, like, 9 o'clock in the morning, German time, which was 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, Eastern time. Uh, then we got on a train to Essen. And by the time we got to uh, Central Station at Essen, we waited around for a couple hours for the rest of the crew to show up. And then we all went to the Airbnb. By then, it was, like, 3 in the afternoon. And I hadn't slept since like I tried to sleep on the plane and I really didn't, I I hadn't slept in a a very long time. So I ended up taking like a 45 minute nap. And then that night I actually went to bed at what would amount to be a normal time. And uh, that pretty much resolved like the general jet lag issue. Uh, I was a little sleepy the next day, but it was, it was fine.
1: I am impressed by that because the one time that I have dealt with jet lag of that magnitude, I ended up going to bed very early the first night that I was there, and I slept for like 12 hours.
0: You know that thing that I do where I wake up at like two in the morning all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did that anyway.
1: You did that too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it was pretty awful, but whatever. And then on the way back, I flew out at, I think, like 10 a.m., which meant that I landed in Boston at like three. And again, I just kind of did the same thing. I just made it a really long day and then went to bed. And like all this week I've definitely been going to bed a little bit early.
1: A lot bit early. A little bit early.
0: (laughs) But it you know, I'm I'm pretty much recovered from it, I guess. So anyway, so that's the whole jet lag situation. You know, you just try very hard to stay up as long as you possibly can and that solves that problem. But most of the time if you're in kind of that board game area Uh, Or if you're going to larger restaurants or places where, like, customer service is, you know, expected at a certain level, being an American or at least being an English speaker without German is not that bad. If you go to, like, hole-in-the-wall places, like, you better know German or have someone with you who does. Otherwise, Mm. you're stuck. So I have been hip-deep in Duolingo because, you know, if I ever do go back to Essen, I don't want to be quite as stuck as I was um, this past week. But... You know, once you go to the show, first of all, okay, for anybody who's been to a show in the United States, the security is not quite the same. Like, getting in the front door is definitely hard if you don't have a ticket. Like, it's, you know, they're definitely doing tickets and stuff like that. But pretty much once you're in, they're not pushing you out the door at 7 o'clock if you're an attendee. They just tell everybody that they're closing. And there's kind of this general feel that, like, you should probably leave at 7 o'clock.
1: So, there's uh, no uh, Pax, you wall of enforcers. Absolutely to make sure not. That people no,
0: think. no, nothing, not, nothing like that at all. In fact, um, what happened a few times was I, I mean, I didn't understand the German, but essentially what they said was, you know, hey, there's a lot of people outside. We're just going to open the doors a half an hour early. You should probably go to your booth.
1: Oh, okay. Like that would
0: never happen.
1: Oh, no, that would never you know, happen. That would in the never States. happen here.
0: Other things that would never happen the essen mess messe i don't know m e s s e i don't know how you pronounce that in german but messe we'll say is eight interconnected halls with a what they call a galleria uh, that it, which is just a very large hallway kind of in the middle of it and that the galleria area is where they had all the food hall 3 is by far the biggest hall and if you've ever been to like an unplugged event hall 3 is two to three times the size of the PAXU show floor. Just hall three. Uh, hall one is probably, I don't know, maybe two times the size of the show floor at PAX Unplugged. And then hall four and five are a little bit bigger. And then hall six is about the same size, I would say, as the show floor at That's PAX so Unplugged. That's so So it's just enormous. It's very, very large. But in hall four, <laughs> I stumbled across... This is amazing. For 60 euros, I could have bought the best Christmas gift of the year, which was, I kid you not, a wooden target and I believe three or four double sided, very, very sharp mini throwing axes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good luck getting that through uh it. american
0: airport security you can't even sell this thing in the united states in some states
1: that's what i'm saying not only could you not sell it or buy it you probably couldn't even buy it in germany and bring it home i don't I unless you, you could, shipped it well I, I think you could
0: put those in your checked luggage uh, maybe right i, I think you'd, could you'd be sh-
1: asking for a for a luggage search if you did
0: well i mean you can put a you can put a firearm in your checked luggage as long as it's not loaded. I mean, I the, the rules are very, very different, you know, with what you bring on a plane versus what you check in your luggage. But anyway, I, I mean, it was just, it was outstanding. And they were allowing people to just try it. You know, they gave you like a 10 second primer on how to throw a throwing axe. And then you're just, and you're just, you're in a booth that's like, I don't know, half the size of my office, chucking these things at a wall, and they're flying all over the place. Like I saw axes bounce off the wall and go into the aisle. Ugh. Like, Ugh. this would never happen in the United States. It was crazy. And the other thing about Germans that I found kind of refreshing is that they're just extremely direct. There's no beating around the bush. There's no pretense. They're just like, this is how it is. If you do not do this, you will get in trouble. Move on with your life. There's no whoopsie okay. daisies. Like, yeah. I just, that shouldn't be a surprise, you know, <laughs> hearing me say that nope. I found that to be a refreshing thing, but. That was absolutely the case, too. So that kind of just like sets the environment of this whole thing. So we had an Airbnb that was like a 25-minute walk away from the Messe. And, you know, we walked there every morning. I think we took a train once just to kind of see how it was. But we pretty much walked there every morning. We had some issues with stock. Some stuff was running six weeks late. So we didn't have quite as much as we had hoped, but we did manage by the end of this whole thing to sell out of pretty much everything that we had, which was our goal. Some of the booths were absolutely enormous. I took some pictures. I shared some pictures with you. The, uh, the Haba booth was just huge.
1: I mean, the Haba booth being huge doesn't really surprise me because at some of the U.S. shows, it's become one of the larger booths, like not incredibly huge, but you know, not a small booth. The ones that surprised me are brands that I have, as a game reviewer in the U.S., I have barely heard of, and they had enormous presence in Germany. Like
0: Amigo? I've heard of Amigo for a while, but like I just don't feel like their board game presence is that big, but their booth was huge. Yeah. Huge. Uh, another big one, Hachette has just, I mean, they've really embraced what they're doing with their brands, and they had a great show. They sold out of Turing Machine. Shouldn't be a surprise, not a you know. Surprise. Along with a couple of other things, I'm trying to think of other you know interesting things to kind of bring up in that regard. It was really weird to see yellow selling unmatched. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, well, that's one of those really interesting things. Localization and uh, publishing in different countries is done by different publishers, and it's really interesting or funny or weird to see those things. I also took a picture of the Zauberberg play area so Zauberberg is Magic Mountain this is the game that won Kinderspiel last year you remember it, when we mm-hmm. reviewed it i said man this frustrates me so much that this simple simple game is so good yes so uh, yeah so that one actually i guess it won Kinderspiel this year technically yes. but it had its own like eight table play testing area or something like that which was uh, pretty cool i did have the spiral potato that everybody says yes, that you have to have when you Yes, the spiral to potato? It tasted like a giant curly fry. That's kind of that, the best. That sounds delicious. I mean, it was outstanding. It was really good. Like, I was honestly surprised at just how delicious this thing was. I also had currywurst for the first time. Not a fan. Don't need to ever get that again. Okay. I don't regret doing it because I, you know, believe that you should try things once. But it was not for me. Okay. So that was that.
1: Not quite a for science, but, uh, you know, <laughs> special German food, the spiral potato and Wurst.
0: Yeah. I don't, I mean, here's something I will say. Food is cheap over there. Like really cheap. Like if you go to a airport, you know, breakfast place in the United States and you buy a croissant, how much are you paying?
1: In the airport? Yeah. Like Probably in the airport. Probably like eight bucks.
0: Yeah. So I paid one and a half euros for a croissant in the airport.
1: Holy moly. I know. And and
0: everything is like that. I think my entire food cost eating out every night was 100 euros. Wow. Yeah. It's just very inexpensive. And that includes, you know, having a beer with most meals.
1: I spent 100 bucks in a single night eating in New York City. You're welcome. Just on myself.
0: (laughs) I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. So that part of, uh, you know, traveling is relatively inexpensive. And I appreciate that very much. So, yeah. So that was kind of that whole greater... You know convention experience.
1: Okay, well, in our last episode, we talked about the short list, haha, of <laughs> games we were super excited about for you to see.
0: Yes, at Essen. Yes, and
1: I can state that you brought some of these games home. I did. What was it like buying games at Essen?
0: So buying games is different there. You know, in in conversation with. Mark Spector at Grand Gamers Guild, who's you know the boot that I helped out with, he said that it was really a new experience for people to ask about paying with credit cards. He said that in previous Essence, single digit numbers of people even asked. Wow. But I will everybody say everybody just
1: assumes they're gonna pay cash. Yes. Huh?
0: Yes, I will say that it was absolutely a far more cash driven show than I had ever experienced in my life some of that is probably because I bought some games on setup day and oh sure You know, they might not have had like credit card readers and stuff set up or whatever or maybe it's just easy it's just easier to take cash right you can kind oh, of yeah. time offset a transaction if you take cash for it you know what it's, I mean?
1: it's always easier to take cash but you say this and I contrast it with the last time I went to PAX Unplugged which is now three years ago mm-hmm. and the kids asked me about getting cookies from the cookie brigade and I didn't have any cash. And they're like, oh, that's okay. We have a Stripe reader. We can take your credit card. Exactly. And that's a $1 cookie. Mm -hmm. Like that's not even $50 games or anything. Right.
0: So, I mean, that part of it was definitely interesting that it was so much more physical, cash driven. Also... Euros look like Monopoly money, so like there's that part of it. Like
1: they look like Monopoly money because we're used to all our money being the same color and the same size. Yeah, and we're one of the only countries that does that.
0: I mean, look, I will say that I kind of appreciate. I mean, I say Monopoly money tongue in cheek. Like I actually kind of appreciated the whole different size thing, even though I thought it was weird. And like all I could think was this would be such a pain to put in my wallet because <laughs> I have that super minimalist wallet yeah, yeah. now. But I don't know that that was just kind of. It was super convenient to be like, oh, that shape is a five
1: euro note. Right. You it makes I mean? it like, way easier to tell yeah. what's what. And yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm going to get on my hobby horse for a second. Way more accessible. So anybody who has trouble with vision or anything mm-hmm. like that, it's way easier to, t- to tell bills apart. But the other thing
0: that I really liked is that one euro and two euro were coins, period. I am stop.
1: not surprised at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then it was 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 for sure. you know, the actual bills. So, talking about some of the games that I picked up, I bought The Great Split. So, this is a game yes. that we talked about from Horrible Guild. I think this is the one that is most likely to come to the United States the soonest out of everything sure. that I bought. Sure. Actually, that's not true because I also bought Scout, which I think is already in the United States. But
1: Scout has kind of sort of been in the US since early this summer, I think, was when I <laughs> like really that. first saw people talking about it. Yeah.
0: So I did pick up the Great Split, and the primary reason—well, I mean, the game looks great, and I'm really excited to play it. And it, it's got this really interesting dual-layer board thing. The game is basically about a divorce,
1: and it looks like it's got almost like a like an Art Deco. Kind oh yeah, of I thing. love it. It's
0: very much like a Great Gatsby time period yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. It looks super awesome. But I was successful in getting the board game Similo deck.
1: Oh, I was so excited for this. Yes. So. We tried not to talk about this on the last show because we didn't know if we could get it and we knew it was an Essen exclusive. Mm. But there was a board game themed Simlo deck that you could only get at Essen and only if you bought one of the games portrayed in the deck.
0: <laughs> and the game publisher and the game I, apparently publisher like, requested a set of decks from Horrible Guild. Like that's how you had to do it. Mm. Sure. So I picked up. The Great Split on setup day, just to kind of make sure that I had, again, I had to pay cash, whatever. That's fine. Other games that I picked up, I did pick up Papageno. Yes. From Helvetic. There were two different kinds of decks for Papageno. They had different birds in them. So I actually bought both of them. I'm very
1: excited to try them. Yeah, I
0: figured you could keep the one that you like and then give the other one to a friend of ours who has actually been in the Magic Flute. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. So those two games were fun. I did, in fact, pick up a zombie life insurance.
1: I am also really looking forward to that one.
0: That is going to be a fun game to play. That's definitely a game that I don't think we're going to review, but it'll be fun to play during the month of October. Yes. So. Uh,
1: although it has to take a backseat to all of our Halloween <laughs> uh, review. games. Right. right, right.
0: <laughs> Let's see. I did pick up Order Overload from Oink Games, which we stuffed in the Christmas box to put in your stocking. for some uh, Yeah, reason. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And then, because our kids don't listen to the show, I picked up Spacecraft from Grana. This is a game that looks really, really neat. It really reminds me of almost like a board game version of Pikmin in some ways, because you're trying to put your spacecraft together. Or, you know, it's got a lot of that same theme as First Rat does from Pegasus Spiel. This idea of, you know, trying to get the pieces together to build your spacecraft. But one of the things I thought was really cool about this is that they're literally puzzle pieces in some ways. So you actually are physically building your spacecraft as you go on. So it looks fantastic. It looks really, really neat. And it's not available in the United States. So it is a game that I picked up and we stuffed away in the Christmas box.
1: Let's talk about a couple of the games that you picked up that we have played.
0: Yeah, so we mentioned that there were a couple more games that we had played that we didn't want to talk about until we got to the S and half of the show, and I think the one that we've probably played the most at this point is Laniakea.
1: This game has the same kind of vibes for me as like a Shobu or a DeBlockle. Mm -hmm. It is a two-player game. It is made of really nice hardwood pieces. It all fits together really well. And you get that thinky feeling of pushing forward, sometimes making sacrifices, trying to stop the other person. And I am really, really liking it. I really hope they find a publisher partner to bring this to the United States, because I think it would be a big hit over here.
0: Laniakea is a very, very thinky game. And truthfully, like I guess I don't know if there's something historically about this game that lends to the Hawaiian theme, but... I mean, the Hawaiian theme is just the pretense of the game is you are marching across a beach and you don't want to step on turtles.
1: That's the entire game. And the sands are shifting underneath Mm -hmm. your feet. And so, yeah, you move forward or forward and sideways or sideways and forward, Uh, and then you push a tile in and shift that whole row over that you ended in.
0: Yeah, we kind of talked about it a little bit on episode 312, kind of how this game works, but there's some nuance to it that really tightens up the gameplay, I think. So you can stack the little tokens up to three high, but when you move off a stack, you move the number of spaces that you were high. So... There's kind of an interesting mechanic here where strategically you can stack your own guys on purpose to kind of vault them over turtles. Mm -hmm. If you are in a place where you're kind of stuck, you can also stack on top
1: of the opposing player and pin them there so they can't move. Mm -hmm. And as we saw, it also means that the opposing player may choose to stick turtles in front of your now stacked up guys so that now you have multiple guys who are basically pinned because they can't move. Yeah, it's
0: a really thinky game. It's one of those brilliantly simple abstracts. Yeah. And we're really enjoying playing it. I'm going to talk about another game that I played at the show, and this is 100% cheating. Is that okay? okay? All right. Cheat the, away. The game <laughs> The game I want to talk about is Tirnanogh. Now, the reason why talking about Tierna Nog is 100% cheating is because this game is not out yet. This game isn't even finished with development. But this is a game that is in development with Grand Gamers Guild. It was designed by Isaac Shalev and Jason Slingerland. Ooh. I know. And further development by, you know, Grand Gamers Guild and their team. But in this game, you are controlling storytellers. And what you are trying to do is weave the best saga so that you can kind of win this competition and stay in the land of Tirnanog with the fairies forever. The way this game works, there is a grid of cards, and you actually place out your meeples in in round-robin fashion, but you place your meeples so that they are straddling two cards. So once everybody has placed their meeples, then you go through and you draft the cards based on the meeples that are on them. So you obviously can tell which cards other players might be interested in because their meeples will have straddled them. Sure. And you have consequently some information about which cards are the most important for you to get earlier on in your turn. So you then draft cards and then you play them into rows in your tableau. And the rows score differently. So there will be 12 different scoring mechanics for rows, but at this point there's only the three uh, because there's a top, a middle, and a bottom. And they score really interestingly. So like the first one is add all of your odd-numbered cards together, add all of your even-numbered cards together. Whichever one of those two numbers is lower is the score of that row. Like, that's just a kind of a okay, neat way to sure. score, you know what I yeah. mean? So there's some other stuff like that. Some of these cards that you draft and then play will have powers on them that'll enable you to do different things. It's just a really interesting game. The art is beautiful. The, everybody loves a Celtic theme on a board game, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, So this is Tiernanog. It's coming to crowdfunding, probably GameFound, I think, in, like, March. So I, I did get a chance to play that. A fair number of times it was on one of the demo tables in the booth as we were working the show.
1: Very cool. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about one more, uh, another game that you brought home from Essen and that we played kind of on a whim. Mm
0: -hmm. This is a review game. There there were a couple of games that I did pick up for review. Uh, Shout out to the folks at Tantrum House. Will and Sarah Meadows were running the Genius Games booth And they were able to hook me up with a copy of Coral Reef, which is kind of the new ecosystem board game from Genius Games. So shout out to them. I did run into a couple other people as well. That was a fun part of the show. But one of the games that we got for review was this game that you're about to talk about, Insert Coin to Play.
1: Yeah. So Insert Coin to Play is a flip and write with a sort of classic arcade theme, more of like an 8-bit art theme. You are flipping out cards and... using the polyominoes on them to fill in these three drawings that you chose to put on your player sheet at the beginning of the game. And the thing is that the game is broken into three rounds, but these are with cards that have been randomly shuffled into the deck. So you don't really know, say, when the first round is going to end. And if you have not finished any of your three shapes by the end of the first round, then you're going to have to cross off one of your coins to keep playing. You also use coins to restock your hearts because you take damage if you can't use the polyominoes that are on the card.
0: Yeah, I really like this game. It's a clever, I don't even want to call it a twist. It's almost like it's a—it's another layer to a Flip and Write game where you're doing some kind of filling in of polyominoes. Do you remember Clip Cut Parks?
1: Yeah, you know what? This has a little bit of that same feel to it of doing a different thing with the flip and write genre. Right.
0: Yeah. Honestly, this is a game. So a lot of the stuff that we do with roll and rights and flip and rights or whatever, we actually laminate some of the cards so that we can reuse them over and over again. This is a game where that's going to be really hard to do because even fine tipped markers might not be fine enough for this game.
1: Well, and I'm just not sure you would want to because there's going to be a lot of back and forth and coloring in in this game. I will say that it annoyed me a little bit that the game starts with the very tedious step of exactly drawing in the three shapes that you have chosen onto your player sheet.
0: Yeah, but I feel like that's a time for people to kind of hang out and talk and whatever. Like, it doesn't...
1: I mean, I guess for me, it's a lot of counting to make sure that I got the shape right.
0: Yeah, but they're not that big. I mean, these things are at biggest 15 by 15... It's, yeah, it's,
1: so, it's not, ter- it's not terrible. It's not it just, that part did not flow as nicely as the rest of the game did for me. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I can understand how you would find that tedious you
1: know, Yeah, in your defense,
0: but I, I don't know how else you would do it. So,
1: <laughs> but I will say that for a, a game that is pretty mechanically simple, I like that every step along the way, there were a lot of choices available to you. Hmm. Not in a paralyzing way, but in a really opening, kind of freeing way. Even those three shapes you choose at the beginning of the game, there's a draft where you get, I think, four or five cards drafted around in the table. And then from that hand of cards, then you pick three that you're going to draw on your sheet. Yeah. Yeah, so, that is
0: Little Rocket Games. I'm not entirely sure where you can get those in the States. They did say that they're available, which was kind of a, a limitation. I wasn't going to take a game for review if I couldn't point someone to where to get it. So yeah, that was uh, it's fun. I really like it. I'm looking forward to playing it some more. Mm-hmm. The only other game that I played was Scout. I mentioned that I picked up a copy of Scout. Yes. I understand why that game won the Spiel des Jahres.
1: So that won th- this year's Spiel mm-hmm. des Jahres?
0: It did. So I will show you how to play that sometime. You'll play it and you'll be like, yeah, I get it.
1: Uh, The one thing that I know about Scout is that it involves once cards go in your hand, they need to stay in the order that you got them in. But there is a little bit of manipulating you can do with them, unlike, say, that card game dealt that we have.
0: So the thing about Scout is that the distribution of the top and the bottom of the cards are completely different. So like if you have a hand of cards, when you first pull your hand of cards, you can't reorder the cards, but you can flip the entire hand over. Okay. And the numbers are completely different. Sure, sure, sure. Because they're not paired up exactly the same way. So that might be something that's beneficial to you. You can play out of your hand from anywhere. Sure. But if you play multiple cards, like... They have to be next, you know, next to each other. So those could be of a kind or they could be straights but you're also going to find yourself kind of looking at your hand and being like, okay, well, if I play that one card and that one card, then I'm going to have a straight of three. Right,
1: then I will have pulled these other cards together. Exactly,
0: exactly. So that becomes a, a crucial part of the manipulation of the game.
1: This is definitely making me think that this is the sort of thing that Delt, which was published by Amigo, was going for. And just for them, it was kind of a swing and a miss. And Oink Games got it right in Scout.
0: Well, one of the things, so first of all, I think Scout's been around for a while. It might not have been called Scout before, Mm, but it's been iterated on. The thing that makes this game unique is that if you cannot beat the set that's on the table, you can scout it and take a card from either the left or the right side of that set and insert it into your hand wherever you want to. When you do that, you can flip it over if you want to. Okay so if there's a set of four, five, six in there, and the six has a three underneath it, or I should say, like, I don't know, an an eight underneath it, right? So it's six at the top, which is what was played into the mm-hmm, set that's mm-hmm. on the table, but it's you know connected to an eight on the bottom side of the card, and you're looking and you're like, well, I have two of a kind of eights. I could take that six and turn it over and put it into my hand as an eight. As an eight. Right. And that's okay. called scouting. And when someone scouts the trick that is active, or the set that is active. Whoever put down that active set gets a victory point.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, it just sounds to me like there's a lot better interconnectedness to this, and just gives you more motivation to kind of pay attention to what everybody else is doing rather than just focusing on your own hand all the time.
0: Yeah, except you can't really tell what other people are doing because there's. I mean, a I'm not set. saying
1: I'm not saying super a lot, but like some kind of not just i'm gonna beat what's out there because that's what dealt turns into
0: Mm -hmm. well i mean but that's an important part of the game as well so when you beat whatever set is out there you pull that set and it becomes your victory points so scout is a key iteration on a tried and true formula that just brings it up that next level to the point where it becomes an scj winner
1: sure that's what it is
0: also kind of offended that that game costs $20. It's a deck of cards and some cardboard tokens. But I digress. That's what happens when you win Spiel.
1: Yes. (laughs) That is the Spiel premium right there. Yeah,
0: exactly. All right. Well, I mean, there's so much other stuff that I suppose I could talk about with regards to Essen. I mean, it was a really cool experience. Oh, I'm going to talk about this one thing that as an engineer... I was really impressed with with the Messe. And as someone, Anitra, who has been to large-scale conventions before, mostly in the form of PAX Unplugged and Origins, I think you can appreciate this. Okay. So most of the floor was concrete. But there were channels in the floor, like significant channels with, like, metal covers so they could run all of the cabling functionally underground
1: oh yeah
0: and they would just like install a little metal thing that had a notch cut out and an internet cable would come out like an ethernet cable would just come out or power would come out so if you ordered those things they would just run the cable in this little groove tunnel and then just have the right cables pop out at your booth Instead of having to run stuff across the floor and tape it down or put that...
1: Yeah, and hope that people don't kick it and it doesn't come disconnected. I just... I don't...
0: The number of things when I was in Germany where I was like, wow, that's a really smart thing that you Germans have done. We should do that in the United States. Like, it just really was almost bothersome.
1: You showed me a picture of stairs with gutters next to them.
0: Yeah, so... A lot, not all of the stairs, but a lot of the stairs, especially in like train stations and stuff, they have gutters on the outside edges and also in the middle where there's railings so that if you're sweeping the stairs, you can just sweep it to the side and it will fall down to the bottom.
1: Yeah. No matter what it is you're sweeping, whether it's, you know, trash or rainwater or whatever.
0: Yeah. So obvious, so simple. And yet. And yet. But anyway, I am sure there's lots of other things that you might have questions about with regards to Essen, and I would be happy to talk about those things. It was a really cool experience. I understand that this is probably coming off a little braggy, but I consider myself incredibly blessed to have been able to do it, and I'm very thankful to Grand Gamers Guild for making it you know, a possibility. If you have questions, I would love to talk about them and answer your questions, and you can ask us those questions on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok at FamilyGamersAA.
1: You can also ask Andrew questions in the Family Gamers community on Facebook.
0: You can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community, or you can go to Facebook and just search for The Family Gamers community.
1: If you'd like to ask questions more privately, you can email us, anitra at thefamilygamers.com.
0: Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Like, Anitra, how did you manage to survive for a whole week with three children without your husband, and did you murder him when he got home? <laughs> the answer to the last part, obviously no.
1: No, I did not. <laughs>
0: Check out our Family Gamers and play games with your kids. Merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch.
1: Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it, and leave us a review if you can wherever your podcast subscription source is. Whether that's Apple Music, Amazon Music, TuneIn, you name it. If you can leave a review, we would appreciate it very much.
0: Send your weird foods to us for science. The Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Massachusetts, 01501.
1: All of this information is in the show notes on your podcast app and also on our website, thefamilygamers.com. So don't worry about trying to scribble it down. You can find it all there the family gamers is sponsored by first move financial go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers and learn how the team at first move financial can help you pile up the victory points.
0: Thanks so much to the team at first move financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. Anitra. Yes. We I think are probably done with our SM coverage.
1: I kind of hope so yeah.
0: <laughs> I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week but until then everybody play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.